Welcome to another episode of Force Proximity. I'm Jonathan, and with me is, of course, Megan. His this... wife. We always forget to say that. They know. No, they don't. <laughs> no, they don't. We, believe it or not, yeah, we are actually in the same room together. Most podcasts, especially romance podcasts, not even the same zip code. State? Yeah. Yeah. State, yeah. So, no, we are in our basement, in our office basement, basement office, where it's podcast room, soon to be home The office, room. or the basement of our office. I like that better. The basement of our office? Yeah, that implies we're like real big time. Like we have two basements? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like some Minecraft house. <laughs> uh, no, we have one basement, and in the basement there's an office. And that's where we do our podcast and soon be the homeschool room and <laughs> maybe the YouTube, YouTube channel room. studio. Yeah. But this week we have the English patient like we promised. Yay. And I didn't hate it. I, I totally thought I was going to fall asleep through it, which I did. But you fall asleep through everything. I fall asleep watching sports. Yeah, which is your favorite thing. Which is my favorite thing. Right. So if I'm on a comfy couch I'm, and my tummy is full, I'm probably going to fall asleep. <laughs> which is when we watch movies. It's right after dinner. <laughs> so but, this was one I was like, I was plotting out. I was like, all right, I'm going to have to watch this on Friday night because I stay up forever. Jonathan will have to watch it at nine o'clock in the morning on Saturday. <laughs> That's... It is bright in the room. But then, but no, because then he's going to be on his phone playing his like war game or <laughs> he's not going to pay attention unless I'm staring at him. So we have to watch it together. No, I would have, I would have not had my phone in my room. In... No, see, I like to have the phone. I wouldn't be like scrolling Instagram or playing you video like to games. look stuff up. I like to look stuff up. If so, if I see an actor that I feel like I know who that was, but I can't pinpoint where I saw them, yeah, I want to know immediately because it'll drive me nuts and I won't be able to pay attention to the movie. So I oh. have to look it up. I never have that problem in British films because that's like all I watch. So, of course, I know exactly what I've seen them. It's not like, oh, yeah, that was some person that stood in the background of some Marvel movie. No, but it'll be crazy. Like, like where did I see that person? I'll look it up. Oh, that was the Shredder from Ninja Turtles or something like that. <laughs> like, like, totally out of left field. <laughs> For me, it's always like, oh, yeah, Downton Abbey. No, but it's like one of your movies, one of your British movies. I'll see it and it'll be a total obscure character. Yeah. Not always. It's it's that I think that's what I want it to be, <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> but well, I the, but I don't have to wrestle with my own brain to remember what that person is from, because I'll do that and I won't pay attention. So I'll just rip the bandaid off, look at where they're from. <laughs> it's fine, and then move on. <laughs> so it's really so I can pay attention. Okay. <laughs> and I would have watched the movie without looking at my phone. Besides looking things up, I know, but you got we got it watched together, and that was we the got it watched, thing. and it. And how about it didn't suck? 
it doesn't suck. You know, I remember when that Seinfeld episode came out. And uh, I hadn't seen the movie yet because I was still 14. And I think I saw it when I was 15. Like, because this is when I was like huge into movies. I was going to be like a Hollywood movie director when I grew up. And uh, so I saw everything that had, you know, an Oscar nomination attached to it. And this was huge. This was 1996. This was the year of the indie. And I remember that, like, because I didn't even know what an indie was. I was 14. Yeah. But um, so this was the year of the indie. All the newspapers were calling it like my entertainment weekly subscription (laughs) had all the things in it. But premiere was all about the year of the indie. And it was the first time Oscar really heavily acknowledged indie films. I don't remember what else was nominated, but I saw it all. And this one was like, oh, my God, this is what love is. (laughs) Which was a problem for me for the rest of my life. So probably why I still don't feel loved, because if you don't stare at me broodingly, then you don't love me. And let you die in a cave. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Okay. So 1996 has came out, directed and written by Anthony Minghella, adapted from the novel by Michael Ondaatje. With the same title. With the same title. The novel, to me, was very frustrating because it didn't have a lot of those flashback scenes. It was, like, all about Kip and Hannah, and I don't care about that. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't care. They have, like, an everyday kind of love story. Yeah. I'm not here for that. We'll get into that later. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, I, I'm i not going to say I really, I really enjoyed this movie. I didn't. It was fine. I think it also requires two watches, and Roger, Roger Ebert agrees with me. I can't see because I've been wearing glasses all day that are readers. And I haven't been reading. So, um, so I'm just going to go. We're going to read this. When a movie is old, and this is old now yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i mean it's gonna be 25 plus years almost old. 30 years old yeah so it's a class this is like when i was growing up when i was in high school in 1996 and i was watching these brand new movies thinking about you know psycho that came out in 60 something and that's in black and white that's an old movie that's still an old movie to me. The English Patient is, you uh, know, modern. Probably why I was hung up on this movie of me not liking it. Yeah. In 1996, I was 10. Yeah. <laughs> 11, 10 and a half. Yeah. So, mm, not really... I was wanting to watch what Hank and I watched this morning. Teenage Teen- Mutant Ninja Teenage Mutant Turtles. Ninja, Ninja Turtles 2. Yeah. The Secret of the Ooze. Like, that's what I was watching. Yeah. I mean, that's understandable. And you're a guy who likes sports. And, like, that's just not... I mean, 
grand sweeping love stories aren't your thing, hence why we haven't watched Dr. Zhivago on the podcast yet. We'll have to get to that because that because this is like the other Dr. Zhivago is the English patient. On a scale of one to ten, how close is this? Are those two movies together? They're like story wise. Yeah. No. I, no, what's no. Close watchability. Is... Watch like not watchability. Oh, this but... is a lot more watchable. This one is yeah. Doctor Zhivago. Yeah, but think about the English patient, but not in Tunisia. It's in Russia. It's in like the cold part of Russia, Siberia. So you might like it more because I know you love Russian I stuff. I do love Russian stuff. Um, it's kind of. I mean, it's just as racy in a different kind of way. Okay. Well, it's like this starts out with this like this guy is like sort of transfers his like oozing affections from the mother to the daughter who's now of age to become his mistress. Like a Lolita thing kind of happening. Kind of. I mean, it's played by Julie Christie, so she looks like she's 25, but All we're right. supposed to think she's, you know, 14. Okay. Um and then she sort of gets saved by this doctor and he keeps her safe through the rebellion sort of keeps her safe um but there's this whole russian revolution going on and it's a lot of politics a lot of musical sweeping landscapes so that in that it's the same as watch me like that one all right Okay, so back to the English patient. Yeah, the Hungarian cheater, as I called it earlier, (laughs) yes, minutes ago. Okay, so I'm going to start out by reading Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert, written back in 1996, which I think is important. Yeah, Um, I like to get a perspective. I like to get you know, the movie just came out. Here's what we're thinking about it as it's out, Mm -hmm. just as a critic versus 30 years later looking back on it we were wrong it is a great movie or we were wrong this movie blows um the looking back there's really no difference like this movie is great and they thought it was great immediately so he gave it four stars Uh, i'm gonna move this so i can see move my mic Backward into memory, forward into loss and desire. The English patient searches for answers that will answer nothing. This poetic, evocative film version of the famous novel by Michael Landace circles down through layers of mystery until all the puzzles in the story have been solved and only the great wound of a doomed love remains. That is so vague, but it's so spot on. It's the kind of movie you can see twice. First for the questions, the second time for the answers. I I do agree that you have to sort of watch it again to get... You get a lot more out of it mm-hmm. the second watch. Or like, you know, 57th watch if you're me. The film opens with a pre-war biplane flying above the desert, carrying two passengers in its open cockpits. The film will tell us who these passengers are, why they're in the plane, and what happens next. All the rest of the story is prologue and epilogue to the reasons for this flight. It is told with the sweep and visual richness of a film by David Lean, with an attention to fragments of memory that evoke feelings even before we understand what they mean. The present action takes place in Italy during the last days of World War II. 
a horribly burned man, the English patient of the title, is part of a hospital convoy. When he grows too ill to be moved, a nurse named Hannah, played by Juliet Binoche, offers to stay behind to care for him in the ruins of an old monastery. Here she sets up a makeshift hospital, and she is soon joined by two bomb disposal experts and a mysterious visitor named Caravaggio, played by Willem Willem Dafoe. The patient's skin is so badly burned it looks like tortured leather. His face is a mask. He can remember nothing. Hannah cares for him tenderly, perhaps because he reminds her of her other men she has loved and lost during the war. Caravaggio, who has an interest in the morphine Hannah dispenses to her patient, is more cynical. Uh, uh, I'm skipping these quotes he threw in. The nurse is attacked. Uh, <laughs> attacked. <laughs> the nurse is attracted to. <laughs> the nurse is tacked. Nope. Attacked. Nope. <laughs> the nurse is attracted to one of the bomb disposal men, a handsome, cheerful Sikh officer named Kip. Naveen Andrews. But as she watches him risk his life to disarm landmines, she fears her curse will doom him. If they fall in love, he will die. Oh, yeah. One of those quotes was pretty important. She thinks she's cursed that anyone she loves dies because it's the war and everyone she knows dies. And that war, a lot of people died. So, yes. Meanwhile, the patient's memories start to return in flashes of detail spurred by the book that was found with his charred body, an old leather-bound volume of the histories of Herodotus, with drawings, notes, and poems pasted or folded inside. Basically, he took an old history, and uh, ancient Greek history, and turned it into a scrapbook. I will not disclose the crucial details of what he remembers. I will simply supply the outlines that become clear early on. He's not English, for one thing. He is a Hungarian count named Laszlo de Almagy, played by Ray Fiennes, who in Egypt before the war was attached to the Royal Geographic Society as a pilot who flew over the desert. He's not a pilot. He can fly a plane, but he's a geographer because he disdains pilots. He says in one in one scene, he makes maps that will be used for their research. Um, but it's also used by English troops in case of war, because this is, you know, right before World War Two mm-hmm. in the frantic social life of Cairo, where everyone is aware that war is coming. Almaji meets a newly married woman at a dance. Also not true. they meet in the desert and he meets her at the same time he meets the husband she is Catherine clifton her husband jeffrey played oh she's played by Kristen scott thomas her husband is colin firth who is a disappointment to her alma she follows her home one night and she confronts him and says why follow me escort me by all means but to follow me is predatory it is clear to both of them that they're in love Also, not really. Roger Ebert, like, you kind of suck at this. (laughs) Eventually, they find themselves in the desert, part of an expedition. And when Jeffrey is called away for reasons which later are revealed as good ones, they draw closer together. In a stunning sequence, their camp is all but buried in a sandstorm, and their relief at surviving leads to a great romantic sequence. There are... These are the two people, the Count and the British woman, who were in the plane in the first shot. But under which conditions that flight was taken 
remains a mystery until the closing scenes of the movie, as do a lot of other things, including actions by the Count that Caravaggio, the strange visitor, may suspect. Actions that may have led Caravaggio to having his thumbs cut off by the Nazis. All of this backstory, there's much more, is pieced together gradually by the dying man in the bed, while the nurse tends to him, sometimes kisses him, bathes his rotting skin, and tries to heal her own wounds from the long war. There are moments of great effect, one in which she plays hopscotch by herself, a scene involving the nurse, the Sikh, and a piano. I love that scene. Talks at dusk with a patient and with Caravaggio. All at last becomes clear. The performances are of great clarity, which is a help to us finding our way through the story. Benoche is a woman whose heart has been so pounded by war that she seems drawn to its wounded as a distraction from her own hurts, finds in what is essentially a dual role, plays a man who conceals as much as he can, at first because it is his nature, later because his injuries force him to. Thomas is one of those bright, energetic British women who seem perfectly groomed even in a sandstorm and whose core is steel and courage. Defoe's character must remain murkier, along with his motives, but it is clear he shelters a great anger. And Andrews, as the bomb disposal man, lives the closest to daily death and seems the most grateful for life. Andache's novel has become one of the most widely read and loved of recent years. Some of its readers may be disappointed that more is not made of the Andrews character. The love between the Sikh and the nurse could provide a balance to the doomed loves elsewhere. But the novel is so labyrinthine that it's a miracle it was filmed at all. And the writer-director has done a creative job of finding visual ways to show the rich language surely slowly unveils layers of the past. Uh, it just talks about how great the production is. Basically, this is just a love letter written to the English patient. So that that's it. He gave it four stars, which is the highest rating. Oh, really? Yeah. Is he the one from here? He is from He's from here, right where we're filming. Recording. Whatever. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to get into the question. So what did not work for me was unavoidable, but the length of this movie, I know you said it's as long as a football game, which of which I watched three today, but... <laughs> You don't have to be so like on watching a game. You have to be like, I don't have to pay attention. Uh, no, I, it, you're not going to offend me by saying it's too long. I didn't make it. I would have cut it down. It was long. Yeah. <laughs> I remember you stopped it. What I felt like was almost done. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, there's an hour and a half left. <laughs> Hannah had just, like, met Kip at that point. I know. <laughs> there was so much left of the movie. And that was an hour in. Yeah. But I'll sit and watch Braveheart, and that's longer. Well, I mean, under there's, like, battles in that. Yeah. But, yeah, it's... Th- 
the length of time I watch things that are that I'll binge watch six hours of a show that I like. Like I'll watch all of Ozark in one day. Yeah, but that's like, you know, there's memes about how that phenomenon comes apart, comes about. Yeah. You know, nobody wants to sit down and watch a movie anymore. But everyone will binge a whole season of whatever. I know. Yeah. Except for me. I don't like to binge. No, I still like to watch movies. Yeah. I Uh, don't that much. No? Uh Uh-uh. I like movies. Uh, What did work? It actually was a really nice story. I don't know about nice, but it was was a captivating story. Okay. I thought you were going to hate the story because... No, the story was kind of cool. Because about the cheating angle. Mm, Yeah, but it kind of... Oh, man. The way I'll describe it in a few minutes seems like, why don't you like this more? But it kind of watches like a Guy Ritchie movie. Oh, okay. That it seems the total opposite of a Guy Ritchie movie to me. Why well, I mean, you... not with the awesome slow-mos and explosions and all that stuff, but it, it's like an early Guy Ritchie, like Lockstock, where they didn't have a, hot, a big budget and they had to use a lot of dialogue. And, and not that... The Sherlock Holmes movies aren't good. They're mm-hmm. awesome. I love them. Mm-hmm. But they had a little more, you know, toys to play with with those to make them awesome. Where Lockstock like really needed the dialogue and the writing and the acting. Where I haven't seen that, so I can't. To me, a Guy Ritchie movie is his like rapid editing style, where it's like cha ching, cha ching, cha ching. It's like screenshot screenshot that's not yeah that's what i think of when i think okay guy Ritchie. not that where like the story brings you along brings you along and there's all these like loose ends that get tied up at the end yeah okay yeah so this movie's like a bunch of loose ends that come together yeah so kind of like that that's what worked for me okay where it's like a puzzle. Yeah, it definitely is. So, so it was, I would say it's like a like a Guy Ritchie movie, a Shakespearean Guy Ritchie movie. Yeah, it is because it has that intrigue. <laughs> and I, I think I think uh, William Defoe's character is what makes it what what brought Shakespeare into my brain. I don't know why. He is a very Shakespearean character. Yeah. I think he might be one of the... They're all interesting characters in this. That's the thing. When you watch a good movie, it's not like there's that one standout weird character that you want to talk about more than anybody else because it's, to me, watching this was really, you know eye-opening in retrospect because I've loved this movie forever but at the same time I'm so used to it and then now I haven't watched it in probably 10 years so going back I'm like oh yeah movies kind of suck now like maybe the editing is more rapid everything is more rapid because we have such like degraded brains from our constant social media fixation Uh and you know memes and like everything is just you know all of our entertainment is so bite-sized that when you go back and you watch 
like an epic performance, like the one that Ray Fiennes gives or the one that Kristen Scott Thomas gives or the one that like any of the side characters who are just so spot on. They every character makes their every actor in this makes their character memorable. Yeah. Each one of these characters could have its own movie. Yeah. To see where it goes. Yes. And it would be so interesting. Yeah. Caravaggio, I think they Roger Ebert called him the murkiest. And that's that's definitely true. Not that. You know, not that there are cut and dried good guys and bad guys in this, because I think that's what that's part of what makes them great actors is that they're not playing. They're playing nuanced people. But at Caravaggio, like you hear him say the same line with mm-hmm. the same inflection. And that to me is like code for, oh, this is a unscrupulous person, but you like him. Like he's he's likable, but he he's like slimy at the same time. Yeah. Well he was tortured and dismembered no i think he was like i think he was a bad dude before he was always shady i think so okay like because you know he says like the the line that he repeats with the same way he said i was a thief so the army thought i would be good good Uh, yeah that's true he says it twice the exact same way and it's like you know he has this line that he tells and what a perfect what a perfect casting because whenever you see william defoe's like i don't trust you no I don't trust you're going to do the right thing. Yeah. William Defoe's character. And that's because of Spider-Man. This is the <laughs> first thing that I saw him in. Really? Yeah. Um, I think. I mean, I might have seen him in something else before, but this is the first reason I knew his name. It's Willem. Willem, yeah. Um. So this is like he is Caravaggio to me. Um, He'll be the detective in Boondock Saints. That's what I always remember. Yeah, him. and I hated him in that. He he is a ripoff of Gary Oldman in The Professional. He was that. Ugh, that so movie. I try to just ignore that. He did a great job, but it was like, who are you kidding? Gary Oldman did this, and he was way cooler. Yeah. Well, that movie's just not as good as people want it to be. I think people know that now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So how well was the world built in the movie? I don't think. Well, I didn't answer any of these yet. Oh, I thought you did. No. What What worked and what didn't work? You were just agreeing with what I was saying? Yeah. Okay. I thought you were agreeing and that was your answer. No. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to, you know, help your... <laughs> I hope your words blossom. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, what worked for me is the love story because we so rarely get romance on the screen that's just pure romance. And I know you need all the political intrigue to know, to make a romance that's not a rom-com. Like you need extra stuff. But I just want a really good romance yeah. where the people are like really intense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is the movie for that. 
I think this is the most intense love story. It, yeah. Maybe ever in a movie. Mm. <sighs> yeah, we'll see. You haven't seen other ones, though. What have I not seen? Do you ever see them? I don't know. Why, why am I challenging you on this? Never mind. Keep going. <laughs> I don't know. It's stupid. Um, it, I mean, it's also intense. It's a love triangle because you have, like, it is a Colin cheating Firth. romance. Yeah, it is a Colin Firth plays Jeffrey Clifton, who is Catherine's husband. So they marry. They've been best friends forever. They're basically neighbors back home in England. Um, sounds like just, he wore her down. Yeah, it sounds like she was just like, fine, I'll marry you. And he's been in love with her forever, but she just relented and married him finally. So they're married for a year when she meets Ray Fiennes and she meets Ray Fiennes and she's like, this is what I was waiting for. Yeah. And I settled a little too early, but I wouldn't have met him if it wasn't, wasn't for my husband. So, and I like how she tries to... She tries to avoid it. They both try to mm-hmm. avoid it. Well, because he's friends with him. Is he not? Or they just work together? They work together. Okay. He doesn't want, he doesn't think there's any need for another pilot on their expedition. Like, they fly planes to get them to where they're going on land so that they can make their maps. They don't need another pilot. They can all fly and take pictures from the air. So he thinks, like, the Colin reason. Colin Firth is just extra. Colin Firth is extra. He doesn't know Colin Firth is a spy. So that's what he's really doing there. He's an English spy. Yes. Okay. Um, or he, maybe not a spy. He works for MI6. Okay. MI6, just, MI6 set him up with the Royal Geographic he's, Society. He's probably keeping tabs on, on Ray Fiennes, who's Hungarian. Who's Hungarian, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um. Because then borders were kind of new, weren't they? Yeah. Like Austria-Hungary like Hungary was part of Prussia, was it not? Yes. Which is Germany and Austria. So Yeah. It wasn't so long ago that he would have been, well, my family is Prussian and Prussians are German. Right. So it would, it would make sense. Yeah, keep an eye on that, dude. Mm-hmm. Especially since Ray finds me to well, Almaji. Like they say his name a lot in the movie, but you don't really catch it because it's such a mm-hmm. name you're not used to hearing as an American. I mean, I'm sure you, if you're Hungarian, you may be like, oh, yeah, <laughs> drinking game every time you hear it. Um, but we never hear names like that. No. Cool names. It's cool because we don't hear them. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, he's, I think he's definitely there to keep tabs on Ray Fines, but also so that England can send him to, send him quickly to places like Cairo and Ethiopia and, To get know. the ball rolling on the war machine. Oh, I don't think it's that. Because it's not World War One; It's World War Two. So everyone's reacting to Hitler in World War Two. That's true. 
So I know I think they're just trying to acquire intelligence. And, you know, whoever owns the desert can win the war is one of the lines from the movie. So. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I don't know about that. I remember Mr. Anderson, one of our, my history teachers in high school, and he he was talking about that. He's like, I don't know why. (laughs) It's like, we've got sand. (laughs) Probably just for like being able to get to Spain and France so quickly. I don't know. I don't know either missile placement. I have no idea. I should, I'm, I should know that because I should know everything, but I yeah. Um, I, what didn't work for you? Well, I was going to say it's, it's kind of, it's kind of both and it's not necessarily the, just the length as in terms of this movie's two and a half hours long. It's this, it's the fact that it's this grand, epic, sweeping story that I would, I've been thinking about Stephen King a lot because I'm coaching a new book author and I'm like, she really loves Stephen King and she is very verbose. So she she's trying to write an erotica and and I'm like okay but it it's probably not going to be 500,000 words. So <laughs> you want to maybe look to other authors as your guide. Not Stephen King. Not Stephen King. So Stephen King can do Stephen King cuz he was brought up he came up in the 70s when there was this when everything was broad and sweeping and easy rider and like every movie had these like shh, landscapes for days yeah. and just like landscape here's here's this butte and a lot of soundtrack yeah and that's isn't that cool then like, yeah because you you didn't have what we have to watch stuff. So you wanted your experience at the movie theater to be worth it. So you wanted to sit there for a while. Yeah. Uh, but this is, no, this is a time when everyone went to the movies all the time. Yeah. Because you didn't have. But why were, so, why were the screwball comedies of the 30s so rapid fire? And why were like Frank Capra, like his his movies are edited just so perfectly. Like there's no extra anything in them. So it's just that something happened in the seventies and it's like, and it's like, you know, someone is, I don't know, (laughs) but this is what this movie is. It's kind of a throwback to that. Yeah. There's so many shots of the bed turning into the desert and the, desert turning into the bed mm-hmm. that wouldn't be there now and i i don't think it's bad i think it's a stylistic choice that works in this movie because the story is so epic mm-hmm. and there are so few of them that i mean i would be pretty happy if you just cut the Ray Fiennes, Kristen Scott Thomas scenes mashed them together and created, you know, a 40 minute film just of that. Like, I'd be fine. Mm-hmm. I would have. Because <laughs> that's what I love about a this movie. A movie. Yeah. Um, I just want to see those two being in love because I just love it. It's just so beautiful. 
And I love the two characters independently. I think all he is like every romance hero I ever write thinking about it. And she's probably every romance heroine I write. So I probably cut my teeth on this. And it's like, oh, that's where I got that from. Like, that's where that was embedded in <laughs> the English patient in me. <laughs> I'm just writing Catherine Clifton and Laszlo Dalmagy, like, getting their happy ending. Because they didn't get it in the movie. Because they didn't get it in the movie. It's the worst ending ever. Like, he he dies. It's a Shakespearean tragedy. It is. Like, he dies a slow, painful, five year death. He wasn't lonely because he had so many caring people around him. Well, he didn't have his. Wife. Yeah. And she died in a really... Dark cave. <laughs> starving and dehydrating to death. She died in the cold darkness. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the opposite of happy ever after. Yeah, it's a torturous way to die. Yeah. Um, I, think, I mean, sometimes I'd be okay with that. Did you... I think you covered no no no. well what i was gonna say is like i i think it's a good question to bring up and i'm not prepared to answer it but i think you know stephen king can continue to write his books like i just read the sundown motel by simone st james last night i just finished it last night and i feel like uh, that book is just so spot on with its like horror elements and the thriller elements, I I can't imagine adding length to make it scarier or to build up suspense would make it any more meaningful or make it any more evocative. So I wonder, what is it about Stephen King? Similarly, what is it about The English Patient that allows certain... Products to be able to be like, just expanded, like we just like luxuriate in these details, and it kind of gives our brains time to slow down so that our emotions can catch up. I don't know what it is. I think it's really interesting. Um, I wonder if you could ever make a movie like this nowadays. Hmm. I don't know. Like, I wonder... Like, I don't even know what's out right now. You can't... I wonder if you can write a book like Stephen King, unless you're Stephen King. Because I know every... every um, like No one would publish that. They would say, uh, cut out 300,000 words, please. Yeah. People's brains can't handle this anymore. No. Like, you can do... And the thing is, like, they're not doing it worse. They're doing the same things in a more time efficient way. But is that better? I don't know. It, uh, maybe. If people are reading. I, I just. But I does know. it matter? Like the, if you're the author of the book, does it matter if. I don't know. I don't. I really don't know. This is not a me question. Well, I was reading um, like a lot of different critic reviews. This got an 85% critic review on Rotten Tomatoes and 83 audience score. So pretty similar. Pretty good. Um, 
someone said it out Zhivago's Dr. Zhivago, and one said the rare detail of the performances redeem it. Um, one of one of the critics said it brings magic back to the cinema, and I think the all the critics seem to be hinting that it's kind of long. Mm-hmm. But they're not ready to come out and say that. They're scared because they don't want to lose access. I don't think it's that. I think they're like, it's long, but it worked. But it only worked because the acting is so good. You really don't mind watching these people for a little bit longer. Well, there you go. That's why it works. The acting. Yeah. Okay, so... Moving on. How well was the world built in this movie? Perfectly. (laughs) Next question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't mean to harp on this one. I mean, you see the Tunisian desert. You see the cave of swimmers. You see Tuscany. You see this abandoned monastery. And everything in this, from the sideways piano with a... With a, with a mine, mine under it. it, or the like, the books that are tumbling down the sideways bookshelves. It's like these hulking, solid oak things that are torn on their sides because a bomb ripped through the monastery, but yet the bookshelves are still there. Yeah, it's like well, <laughs> the it's walls will crumble. Year old oak. I know the the bricks will crumble, but you can just put them back together again. And I really like that. And I love, I mean, if you're a fan of anything like French or Italian country, you'll love the, the Tuscan That was scenes. very nice. I like that. The bed that she finds and the, the English patient is in. Bed. I know. I love it. Um, yeah. I'm not going to touch number two. That's, that's a you question because I have, I, I have nothing to add to that. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have anything to add either. I'm done. Uh, what was your favorite part? I Mine was Kip defusing the bomb when mm. the Americans were about to drive over the bridge. And he didn't know. First, he dropped his snippers. Yeah. And then he didn't know which wire to cut. And he just like. The fuse was snapped. Yeah. So he had to do something immediately. So he just closed his eyes and cut the wire and it worked. Yeah. And it was the tensest part. Yeah. Of the whole movie. Yeah. And then when it worked and everyone went up to the bridge, the only flag you saw was Stars and Stripes. <laughs> they were the ones that were going to kill him. I, I, but they that's didn't. how I saw it. Like the symbolism of the Americans are rolling in, ruining everything. <laughs> well, that's a pessimistic way of looking at it. Well, I'm a pessimist. Well... That was my favorite part. Yeah. I I like the bomb diffusing. Uh, my favorite part is when they first dance. When they first dance together and they're at this like the most amazing Victorian styled colonialist bar in Cairo or not a bar. It's like a hotel, but there's a ballroom in the dance and like Catherine's dancing with everyone, and then she goes to dance with uh with Ray Fines, and he just like stares at her, and she's like, "Okay, dude, creepy." She's like looking away, like I, mm, she's very uncomfortable, mm-hmm. 
and he just doesn't care. He's just, I mean, in the real world, I hate it. Like, honest, obviously, that's not love. That's like... Weird. Yeah. But watching other people in a movie, that is like... <laughs> Book boner level five. Why? I don't know. It's creepy. It's not, though. So real world is okay. Real world is creepy, but movie or book, it's not creepy. Okay, because in the real world, if a guy, okay, if I was if I was writing a character like this guy, yeah, which I have and do repeatedly, so that it's like you have a monkish character who has to whatever it is. Like she asks him, like, what, why are you in the desert? Like, are you in your castle somewhere? And you're just like, I have to get to the desert. And I think later he explains like he has been searching for something. He's on a quest or a mission. I don't remember how he puts it. He's on this quest to find something. And so he lives this like monkish existence until the one comes Mm -hmm. and that is it like that is like the end all be all for like how a man should love a woman yeah in in fiction okay but yeah like the fact that he's not a rake he's not like He's not like a class clown. He's not like attention seeking. He like he does his job. He's completely competent. And then he's just like he doesn't even know he's waiting for the one. But when she's when she shows up and like there's a little like he hate he pretends to hate her at first. Because you have to. It's the same reason. Like what is his name? Mark hates Juliet in Love Actually. Oh, yeah. You have to hate that person. You have to pretend to because it's it's self-preservation. That's what he said, self-preservation. Yes. That person is taken. You have to do whatever you're telling yourself to stop being in love with that person. But I feel like it's a testament to not love at first sight, just like the feeling... The idea that you see this person and it's like, yep, that's that's the one. And I don't I, obviously you don't love them. It's just this like inherent knowledge that you will love them. You would love them. Yeah. If they allowed you to. Yeah. And so when when you do discover that that person is like extremely intelligent and beautiful and like the way they 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 wear their clothes, like all of these things, just like it, that person can do no wrong. And I think, I mean, of course, yeah, in real life, that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Like you already have this person on a pedestal. Everything they do, you're changing the bad from to the good. You're ignoring the really really bad. Um. You're elevating the somewhat good into this just elemental, oh, my God, he likes My Little Pony, too. Nothing can be better than this. We're made for each other. 
He likes water. <laughs> yes. He needs it to live just like me. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we so perfect together? <laughs> yeah, in real life, that's what that is. Or it becomes, you know, the serial killer that I read in the Sundown Motel. Mm-hmm. Like, I just had to have her. So, she was mine in the only way that was possible. In a duffel bag. <laughs> Basically. Um, yeah. Uh, that was my, but so my favorite part was the dance. The and it was like, he finally, like he hated her or he pretended to hate her. They couldn't even speak. He probably wasn't even pretending. He was, didn't know what to do. So his natural reaction is like, well, this feels weird. I'm going to hate this person because plus I don't know what to do. Plus, isn't that like every British, I mean, you don't know. This is a rhetorical question. That's like every British romance is always enemies to lovers for zero reason. <laughs> I don't know. I guess so. They're not up for the same job. They're not like, it's, they're not like, well, there you go. There's, class. Your, there's your enemies to lovers that's not in a business. It isn't a business. They're both in the desert working together. That, yeah, but it's not like an office building. It doesn't have to be in an office building. So it is work-related. It's work-related. All right. It's a forced proximity. And then her husband leaves her in the desert with him. Yeah, he, she'll be all right with you. <sighs> Nothing to see here. You'll be oh fine. Gosh. I what? trust both of you like a dummy. He is so naive. He's so it dumb. so perfect for Colin Firth, too. Yeah. I don't know how he played Darcy. And Darcy is the Laszlo Dalma G type. I don't know how which, he, I don't know how Colin Firth because he can Darcy. play everything. I know, but I just see Colin Firth like he's not as he like just plays someone's dad to me. Yeah. Okay. So here's how he played Darcy. You have him for nine hours as Darcy, not an hour and a half. Mm, so he didn't have to come on so thick. No, and he's not like the Matthew McFadden Darcy, who is very much Laszlo Dalma. Yeah, that's like, who I see. Tall, brooding. Not that Colin Firth isn't tall. He's very tall. But he's not brooding. He's not brooding. He looks like a big kid. Right. Colin Firth's Darcy is very big kiddish. Yeah. And he just he comes across as very insecure. Okay. So it's a different kind of Darcy. So he's very insecure. He doesn't smile, but you you immediately get the sense that he's not smiling because he's unsure of himself. Mm-hmm. So it's very it, like it never comes across as arrogant, really. Um. So that's how you do it. And so by the by the time, like three hours in, when he proposes the first time. And you're like, what? That doesn't make any sense. But then, you like, are you, nothing. You come from nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Marry me. <laughs> Let's rule the galaxy together. <laughs> um. So, but then by the end of the ninth hour, you're like, oh yes, Colin Firth is Mr. Darcy. So, well, he played the long game to convince you. Exactly. <laughs> he had the long game because his it was a mini series. That's what he did this one too with her. He played the long game and wore it down. And this is an example where it didn't work. It didn't work because she didn't like him. All right. So I think that's a good segue to get into 
Do you want to break down the hero and the heroine? No, we've already done that. We've already done that. Well, we didn't really talk. Catherine, we have to just mention, Catherine is a woman after my own heart. <laughs> She's like, I, I think... <sighs> I think of her when I think of British women. I think of a lot of women when I think of British women. I think of like dairy girls type girls. I think of, like, yeah. you know, J.K. Rowling. I think of, you know, the hoity-toity queen. I, I think of, you know, a lot of different, you know, characters. But she's one of them. When I think of, you know, like an English rose, I think of Catherine Clifton, which is not... I think a, a lot of Americans tend to think of like British women as like the stiff upper, stiff upper lip, no matter what is happening in their Margaret lives. Margaret Thatcher. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, no comment, because all I know about Margaret Thatcher comes from the, the Netflix series The Crown, and I hate her in that. Oh, So I well, probably hate her in design. real life. Yeah. Um, but Catherine Clifton is... You know, like, first of all, she does like there's a note in Almaji's book when she opens it to put her pictures inside of it mm -hmm. that Kay's clothes are always at ease on her. And it's true. Like she wears these desert clothes designed by Anne Roth, who got uh, I think was her clothes, who won the Oscar for the costume design. Her clothes are always at ease on her because she has no curves. But that's what makes you look good in clothes. All right. Like these kind of like normal, not normal. She's wearing these kind of out of Africa. This is the out. Of, okay. So out of Africa is another one of these sweeping, like it's always set in um, outside of Europe and the West. What we typically think of as the West. Mm -hmm. um, out of Africa, set in Africa, like Meryl Streep wears these, you know, like safari inspired Edwardian clothes lots of landscape shots mm -hmm. lots of music like themes just constantly running through um, so this she Catherine Clifton wears you know 1940s safari inspired like desert hues it's just really lovely clothing mm -hmm. but you have to be kind of you know, rulerish to look good in them and to make your clothes at ease on you. I mean, if you put Marilyn Monroe in the desert, she's going to be wearing like her tight ass dungarees that are like, you know, form fitting all the way, all the way to her, <laughs> all the yeah. way up and down. Not really and... great for desert wear. No. You need flowy and airy. and Right. So your sweat can evaporate. Yeah. So she, um, she always looks elegant. Yeah. She always has her s scarves like wrapped around her just perfectly. And in a way that's like utilitarian, like she's not doing it for looks. She's just doing it to get warm. It just happens that she threw it over her shoulder and it just fell perfectly. And <laughs> her hat is perfect and her makeup is always flawless, even in her no makeup look. But she's not, you know, she's so gracious. This is what I love about her. She's so smart. They talk about her reading everything. You see her reading in the bar by herself. Um, 
She can talk to anybody about anything. She makes conversation easily, but she's, you know, she's not annoying ever. She annoys Ray Fiennes because he talks about his perfect day being a nine-hour day of silence. Um, And she's not that. No. But... But she's just so casual and self-assured and nice. And that's what I always imagine about a British woman. And that's what I always aspired to become. And that's why I'm so annoyed with who I actually became because I am the opposite of well, Catherine you're not Clifton. I think there are Americans. My my good friend Bones is a lot like her. Yeah. I think there are a lot of Americans who are like that. I'm just not one of them. I'm way too enthusiastic and not a people person Mm-mm. and not gracious. That last one is debatable. All right. Favorite character? I can guess yours. Ray Fiennes. And Kristen Scott. I like both Ty. of them. I can't pick. Who is Because they're mine? so perfect together. You have to guess mine. Kip. I thought Kip, and I like Kip a lot. Yeah. And up until we started talking, it would have been Kip, mm-hmm. but it's not. Because when I talked about each one of these characters can have their own story yeah. and movie, and it'd be great to watch. Which character would I, which I, I would want to watch their movie? Caravaggio? Yes. Okay. Because he killed everyone involved who cut his thumbs off. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I want to see I that. <laughs> and he was going to kill Ray Fiennes. Yes. For being a spy, yeah. a traitor. Yeah. And then when he got there, he's like, well, this sucks for you enough. <laughs> and you're not a spy. And yeah, you find out we didn't talk about the whole... Well, he oh was kind God. of a... Tra- what is it? It's not... He was a traitor because... Well, not really. He wasn't a spy for the German government or no, the German he army. He just, out of retaliation, gave them... Not retaliation. They- out of desperation, he had nothing left. He didn't have a choice in That's, his mind. That is So true. I don't think that... I mean, it's yeah... It's a little it- retaliation because he did say they treated me like I was a German, so I gave the Germans the yeah. maps. Yeah. So it's a little, a little, you know, in their craw, but also right. he needed a plane. Yeah. But that whole ending is so, just, oh my God, heartbreaking. Yeah. It's so, <sighs> it, it was so, don't, don't hate me for this. It was so <laughs> like meet the parents and meet the fuckers where it's like just the injustice of it all. Okay. Like how Ben Stiller is just treated like shit the whole time. <laughs> like, just listen to the guy. I know. But this is what happens in war. That's what happens in war. You see people as the other. Yep. And I think that's... He had a Germany sounding name. Not German. Yeah. But Germany and sounding. And the fact that he didn't want to pull the papers out of his backpack... It's like, oh, come on, dude. Just reach into your backpack. He had them? Get your papers. Yes. Oh, that's on him. But he's 
He's dehydrated he and exhausted. Yes, he said it was a three. He knew he was prepared for a three-day walk through the desert, through the Sahara Wouldn't Desert. Wouldn't they have searched his bag, though, when they took it from him? I don't they know. They would have searched it and looked at his papers. Why would he not have his papers on yeah, them? Like, they would have searched it. Said, oh, shit, this guy works for us. Okay, let's help him out. But I think that, I don't know that they would have helped him out. If it, Yeah, if they had. They would have found his papers, but they were so like offended that he was. Like, oh, these getting, are forged. He was getting uppity. And these were probably like low level lieutenants yeah. who thought they were somebody special. And he offended Some them. Some young officers. Yeah. 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 But yeah, Caravaggio is my favorite character. Just because of that. But I did like I did like how what I liked about Kip was like, all right, the brown guy's getting some love. Yeah. Which didn't happen. And unless... he has the power. Like I love that they never the only time they mention his race, I mean Ray finds him, calls him the boy, but it's because he's younger. Just and I love he's young, that, yeah. Yeah. And I love that he's reading some I don't know, he's something reading reading aloud to Ray Fines. And then they argue about whether like Indian colonialism is better for the Indians or not. But I I love that. They have a dialogue about it. Mm-hmm. And then like uh hannah never mentions his like his his uh sikh heritage she never like it's not a thing Mm-mm. other than they honor it like well, she yeah. honors she honors it by bringing him the olive oil for his hair, for his hair yeah and and i love that and i also because she used it in her hair probably Right. She, like, hey, this works good in hair. You should try it. Yeah. It moisturizes your hair and makes it long and, and shiny. And his partner that got blowed up. Yeah. He was really upset because he's like, he didn't treat me like I was an Indian. He just yeah. treated me like I was a person. Yeah. Like he, didn't, he didn't ask me if I like cricket or Kama Sutra. Right. Like all the other English guys. Yep. Yeah. So, I like that. Yeah. So that's what I... That's... What drew me to Kip just because they like kind of broke the mold, I would say, at that point. I think this proves that there have always been great brown characters. And there always will be. And we need to see the good like people of color like the the well done ways that people of color were portrayed pre this whole bipoc language thing yeah because not to do that is disrespectful for work that's been done in the for past for the people already. who did that yeah, yeah exactly so that's what yeah the fact that he's a great character and then he was in lost he moved on he to was, being yeah. lost yeah so, in case you're wondering, Naveen Andrews. And he was in the Kama Sutra. <laughs> was he? <laughs> I looked it up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I looked I looked him up and I saw I was like, oh. Wait, that's was... a movie? Yeah, I think so. Or maybe it was something. And not a porn? What is it about? Does it have a story? I mean, you can turn anything into a story. Uh, 
But I would be, we should do that for the podcast. Kama Sutra. If it's a movie about sex, then yes, but not a porn. Uh, While you're looking that up. Yeah, why don't you vamp? Um, so I have a, another list. Kama Sutra, A Tale of Love, 1996. <sighs> oh, I do remember that. Naveen Andrews. Same year. Yeah. I think I might have seen that. Or maybe I saw it. I feel like that's one of those things like... Uh, I think I had the English patient on video cassette, like VHS, and I feel like that w- I can hear the trailer for Kama Sutra, A Tale of Love, now that you say that. So I feel like that was one of those trailers that, that played before your favorite movie. Oh, man. I, I know exactly what you're talking about because there's... <laughs> Because we had The Princess Bride, and I cannot remember the damn movie that was a trailer before that. It's a British movie. It's funny that like there's so many movies that I, I know the trailer by heart, but I have no idea anything about the movie. Because the trailer happened before my favorite movie, and you didn't. it was like too, too annoying to re- like fast forward through it. It was, oh man, the one before Princess Bride was a British movie. Right before World War Two, and it was, I think, a comedy. I don't know. I've never seen the movie. I don't even know what it's called. I just remember <laughs> Germans blitzing England with air raids, and, and it's they not blew, Narnia. They blew up the school, and the kids were like, "Fuck yeah, we love you, Adolf!" Because they blew up school. They didn't have to go to school. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that movie. <laughs> they were like, like all the kids loved out of Hitler because he blew up the school. It, they didn't have to go. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I feel like that would be cut out of the trailer now. Okay, so. Oh, they're probably like so politically incorrect you couldn't <laughs> even do it that's not even politically incorrect that's humanitarianly incorrect <sighs> well the way the movie did it was a lot better than what i described <laughs> no i'm sure um okay so here are 12 things you didn't know about the english patient which i think are kind of interesting um and it sort of wraps everything up so one of 12 ray finds Spent hours in makeup. No shit. Yeah. He played a burn victim. But he insisted he have full body makeup applied, even when the scene only required his face to be filmed. Of course he did. <laughs> okay, here is here is uh, hu- something huge. Okay? So, the studio wanted Demi Moore... To play Catherine Clifton. That would have been awful. Yes. Can you imagine, like, Hester Prynne with his her awful smoker's voice <laughs> <laughs> and British accent? Like, halfway British accent. Ugh. So, Anthony Minghella and Harvey Weinstein saved the day and insisted Kristen Scott Thomas play... Catherine Clifton and Catherine Clifton got the job like after having she had a horrible lunch with Anthony Minghella 
She read the novel, loved it. And she's like, if this is ever a film, I want in. And so it became a film. And she talked to Anthony Minghella, the director and writer. And she's like, I am the K in your film. She said to him, she's like, that was a terrible lunch we had, but I am the one to do it. And she apparently she had just had her second child. She was like really self-conscious. So she was not acting right. And she was really apparently hard to direct. So they didn't get along when they were directing when she was in the like when they were making the film. Um, But she knew she was the right person for the role. And I feel like there has there without her, this movie would have been awful. Yeah. I can't imagine a worse person to play Catherine Clifton, though, than Demi Moore. That's just... Except for... <laughs> Bruce Willis turned down the role of Caravaggio. Mm. Which I can see. I think he would have been... I think, I think he, he would, would have been, been way too likable and way too funny. And that was young Bruce Willis... No, he's not sinister. He wouldn't have been a sinister character if Bruce Willis played him. No, I think I think Willem Dafoe was the right guy. I agree, um, but he regretted it like his whole life. Um, also suggested are Sean Connery or were Sean Connery, John Goodman, Richard Dreyfus, and Danny DeVito. Uh, 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 Kristen Scott Thomas tapped into personal pain to play her role. She didn't have to look too far into the pain of the plane crash at the center of the romantic drama. As a child, her own father, a Royal Navy pilot, died in a plane crash. Her mother eventually remarried, and six years later, her stepfather, who was also a pilot, died in a flying accident. Which is one of the reasons she was drawn to the story. But that sucks. Uh, it was the most Oscar-nominated film of the year. Elaine Bennis may have hated the English patient <laughs> on Seinfeld. But what's-her-name loved it. But the Academy and the critics loved it. The film was nominated for 12 Oscars, including Best Actor for Ray Fiennes, Actress for Kristen Scott Thomas, and Best Screenplay. Didn't win any of those categories, but it did take home nine awards, including Best Picture, Best Supporting Actress for Juliette Binoche, Best Director, Best Picture, and Best Costumes. So, yes, Anne Roth did win for Best Costumes. Um, And I remember watching those Oscars, and I was heavily rooting for The English Patient. (laughs) So, I I think you're pretty much answering the last question. Yeah. Does it stand the test of time? It does. Yeah, absolutely does. Um, Six tourists were recruited as extras. Uh, The Germans who shoot down Almagy's plane in the opening of the film were actually tourists. The production couldn't afford to hire more extras, so they roped in Hey, you want to be in a movie? (laughs) (laughs) What? Yeah. My dad was an extra in, I think, two movies. Same, Same way. You told me that. Like, hey, you want monkeys and... I forgot. Maybe it was just that. I think it was just 12 monkeys. Yeah, was it seven? Think... Was he in seven? No. It was 12 monkeys. I know it was 12 monkeys because he came home. It was like several days of shooting and he would come home and be like, yeah, Bruce Willis. He's like, 
just stands and hangs out naked. Cool. <laughs> I think, well, because I think when he time hops, he like shows up naked. Oh. In whatever scene he was in, whenever scene he's in. So he I've never seen the movie. Didn't bother to put a robe on. So like, no, he would like take off the robe and start shooting, but he was just like perfectly comfortable, like having conversations with the extras around him, like naked in between takes. It's cool. <laughs> All right. Uh, seven. Filming in the desert wasn't pleasant. Uh, so it was basically the gist of that is it was cold because it was November. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Eight. The cast had to learn to ride motorcycles. That's terrifying to me. Mm, not me, especially not on a dirt road. Terrifying. Nine. A digital editing first. The English Patient is the first digitally edited movie to win the Oscar Academy Award for Best Editing. Famed film editor Walter Murch began editing the movie in the traditional mechanical way, but the, as the editor detailed in his book In the Blink of an Eye, he switched to the digital Avid system in order to work at home after his son suffered a medical emergency. Um, ten, Juliet Binoche's Oscar needed a makeover. She had to, oh, her son played with it too much and it became tarnished. That's cute. Eleven, the cast paid tribute to Anthony Minghella in 2006. To mark, mark the film's 20th anniversary, the cast gathered in at the Rome Film Festival to pay tribute to Anthony Minghella, who died in 2008. And the rest of this is boring. Twelve, it's being turned into a miniseries. Uh, that might be good. No, it's not good. <laughs> you don't even know. You're just, you're just hating. Can they recast Ray Fiennes and Kristen Scott Thomas? Probably not. No, they can't. And that would be awful because Ray Fiennes is now purely a comedic actor. Is he? And Voldemort. Yeah, he's like a kid's actor. And <laughs> he, was, he was Voldemort before he was Voldemort in this movie. <laughs> he's a kid's actor and like a what it, Wes Anderson guy. Like he's he's having fun. He did all the serious stuff. But you know stuff, what? It's, you know what's funny to me? Like he like you you'd think he was like this brooding, handsome actor and like even when he went to the Academy Awards for this, like he was he's like a jokester. Like hideous <laughs> really yes like he is an example like the 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 character makes the person mm. like it's funny to me how men can change so much in a from a movie to like real life because you think you know women just change your makeup like the men aren't wearing makeup so he looked like the burn guy and at the oscars no, he had like he looked like a door to door traveling salesman. He had oh. like this full bushy mustache and like really thin, scraggly black hair. I no. I don't know. I don't know either. All right. I found the movies <laughs> that were <laughs> the trailer for the before the princess. Okay. The one I don't remember called The Whales of August. I don't remember that one. I don't remember that. But I the, had that on D, on VHS as well. The movie I was thinking of is called Hope and Glory. 
Okay. And I don't know if it's a comedy, but... <laughs> I remember that title. Yeah. I've never seen I remember, it. and the I think that In a World guy was the voice... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was the voiceover for the trailer. And, yep. Hope and glory. So... If you heard what I said about the Hitler thing and the bombing, just watch the trailer, <laughs> Hope and Glory, and you'll know what I'm talking about. I don't think Hitler was cool or anything. We don't think we don't think Harvey Weinstein made a lot of good decisions. <laughs> no, of course not. So, and now I'm thinking, well, Kristen Scott Thomas, like, well, you're gonna think anything, any with anything he did, you're gonna think what? How? What did he do to those people? Yeah. So, all right. <laughs> the fact that he turned down Demi Moore, though, makes me think good for Demi Moore. Yeah, well, saying no to Harvey Weinstein. I'm gonna imagine. Cool. I'm gonna imagine sometimes he made professional decisions. Yeah, professionally. Yeah, I, don't, I hope. I hope he. I mean, for ten years he owned the Oscars. Yeah, from like. I knew who he was in 96 and he was still like big and I still I couldn't tell you what he looked like if you showed me now. I know. I still don't really know who he is aside from what the scandal stuff. Yeah. All right. That went longer than I thought it was going to go, but it was fun talking about the English patient. Mm -hmm. More fun than I thought it was going to (laughs) be. But next week we have a book episode and the book is verity verity by colleen hoover and we'll talk to you next week goodbye bye